Hey everyone and welcome to the Phineas Club. This is episode 74 and we try to make sense of the US election. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Fides Club. My name is Patrick Beja and this is a show where we get people from different countries and parts of the world and uh, we try and uh, discuss the news from the past month or so. And this episode is going to be a little bit a little bit special. I mean it is still an episode about the regular things that are happening in the world, but I sort of uh, wanted to explore the U.S. election a little bit more. So I think it, we're going to be talking mainly about that, even though there would be a lot to talk about. I mean, the coup in Turkey, the uh, terrorist attacks everywhere, and that, you know, there would be a lot to discuss there, but I think there will be time to discuss that uh, uh, another time, maybe. Maybe we'll get to it. I don't know. We'll see. But the, the main focus is going to be the U.S. election, because honestly, uh, we're in the middle of between the two um, conventions. The Democratic convention has just started. The Republican convention just ended. And I think a lot of us outside of the U.S. have been looking at this and not really understanding, uh, thinking, what the hell is this? What is happening? Who is what? How can this get to where it is? And um, And we just don't get it. So I think in pure Phileas Club tradition, as we did for the Brexit over the past couple of episodes. Um, I'm going to try, we're going to try together to have a, a normal conversation. And by normal, I mean uh, not people screaming at each other and really trying to... Um, sorry, I'm, I'm making this introduction a little bit long, but I think it warrants it. I've been very conflicted about how to approach this topic. I've been staying up at night. It's, I think it's something really important to me and to a lot of people that we do this well. And um, I've been wondering what does do it well mean for the Fetus Club? And I've discussed this with my wife, with a couple of other people. And uh, what my wife said was, always remember that the important thing about the Fetus Club is that this is a place to listen to people. It doesn't mean we, we can't have a conversation. Of course we do, and we all have our opinions. But it's a place where we can... Uh, uh, there are so many places and media outlets where it's all about the antagonism and the name-calling. And, and I really want the Fidesz Club to show that it is possible to discuss things even when you disagree. Uh, that's what we've been doing for a long time. And... I'm sure we're going to disagree on a lot of things, but I really want this to, uh, you know, this show and the soul of this show to be that we can discuss things uh, among people and maybe, uh, well, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll end up uh, hating uh, everyone. So let's see who we're going to possibly end <laughs> up hating. You're wrong. <laughs> so first, that, that lovely sultry voice that you're hearing is uh, the voice of Brian, Brian Hess, who is, uh, can I call you my one uh, Republican friend? <laughs> That's not Yes, I am. I would be, wouldn't I? <laughs> you would be one of my Republican friends. Um, you are uh, someone who I, I really enjoy talking to, and uh, you are uh clearly a republican you have uh yeah well i'm not gonna describe you maybe you can tell us about <laughs> you in in just a few words um i'm a small business owner um uh, i live in las vegas and uh i've been a lifelong uh republican uh 
my first president I voted for was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I think that sums it up. <laughs> and, and pretty much. Just, just to um, to color the thing a little bit um, in in a good way. Uh, the first time we actually met physically in real life, uh, you gave me the great gift of taking me to at a shooting range and shooting guns. So there you go, stereotype complete. Uh, yep. You are you are. <laughs> oh, we, we met at New Media Expo. Oh, that's right. Oh, that wait, was such a long right? time ago. At the Hilton, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, it wasn't the first, we didn't go shooting together the first time. That, that was the second date. <laughs> correct, correct. That, uh, that's a nerdacular, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, thank you very much for, for agreeing to be on. You've been on the show a couple of times before, and I'm always appreciative of your willingness to jump into the lion's den. Although... You you won't be uh, alone because we yeah. have not quite a well, republic. No turkey here, so <laughs> he's not gonna. <laughs> That's true. Um, the second guest is uh, someone I'm guessing everyone knows really well. Tom Merritt is here, and uh, he is the as I mentioned a few times, the most infuriatingly neutral person I know. Um, it's a guy <laughs> who doesn't take one step back. He takes 15 and looks at everyone and says, yeah, this is like this, this is like that in a completely dispassionate way that I admire very much. And that annoys me very much as well. Sometimes <laughs> how's it going? I am a lifelong independent. And the first president I voted for was George H.W. Bush. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I also voted for Barack Obama, Ralph Nader and Gary Johnson. So I'm guessing those Why? are all different types of uh pokemon sorry yeah. I mean, you, got, you got four different pokemon there <laughs> excellent uh thank you so much for being on tom and uh wendy uh whose lovely laugh you're you're hearing uh in the background is here as well um literally in the hospital helping people in need so i think that defines you uh as a bleeding heart liberal i guess <laughs> um maybe i don't know we'll get to that <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but so, yeah, just to, to give a little bit of background, um, just, I mean, people have heard you on the show before as well, uh, but can you describe yourself? I don't want to label or stereotype people, but I just want to uh, know who's, people to know who's speaking. Yeah. So I, my name is Wendy Dunford. I live in Sweden, <laughs> which also probably paints me as pretty liberal. Um, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is very Republican, very conservative. So I have a long, long history of uh, interactions with people who have certain ideas. And I've, so I'm probably more, more independent. It just kind of varies where, you know, in certain places I'm considered more liberal, in certain places I'm definitely conser considered more conservative. So I don't know if you can label me. Sorry. Yeah. Excellent. That's perfect. What we like. Uh, and I am, um, I often like to say that I'm considered a horrible uh, right wing person in France and a terrible left wing person in the US. <laughs> um, so I, I like to think that I'm hard to label as well. Um, I spend my time explaining to French people the benefits of some of the parts of the American system and to the Americans the benefits of some of the parts of our uh, socialist systems. So um, that's always a fun time. Um, yeah. But anyway, so we are talking about the US election. And I thought to start us off, as, as we mentioned during prep, I thought what would be interesting would be for each of us, uh, and mostly each of you guys, to tell us in your words, uh, how you would describe to someone who has been asleep for the past 10 years, wakes up, looks at the US right now, and is trying to figure out what is happening in this election. Um, uh, I'm, I was thinking we could start with Tom, who's 
I don't know he's the most neutral, but maybe the most <laughs> uh, able to give a journalistic, have a, a journalistic approach, maybe? What, what do you think? Yeah. Does that work? I'd be happy to take a stab at it. I'm not sure if I'm going to be any better than anybody else, but uh, <laughs> it, it's because it is a very difficult situation. The, the, the public perception, and I think this is across the aisle, is that this is the most divisive election yet. Uh, this is the one with the most ramped up rhetoric, and it's never been more important to vote uh, than this election. And I'm not sure that's as true as people think. It is definitely a divisive election. I'm not going to, to paint it without that picture. You can go all the way back to 1976, though, and say, well, Richard Nixon was the most criminal president ever, and uh, you know the Republicans are corrupt, and we need to stop that. And, and you have a lot of the same rhetoric. And what happens over time is when Richard Nixon passes away in the 90s, he is then remembered as a statesman. And yes, he made mistakes. So so the memories fade and people mellow and people who were calling George W. Bush criminal, people who are calling Barack Obama criminal mellow over time as those people leave. And and so it's hard to tell what actually is more divisive this time around and what is just a logical extension of that ramping up of rhetoric. And I think what muddies the waters is the fact that Donald Trump came in as an outsider uh, and won the Republican nomination over the objections of many Republican establishment people. And you have internal conflict, certainly not for the first time. You can go back, look at George Wallace in the 1960s and see very similar reactions. Uh, if not for the first time, a major political party has nominated somebody that the establishment didn't want. And he is someone who has ramped up that game that I think started with Buchanan back in the late 80s of I'm going to say things that are not normally acceptable out loud because it fires up people who are tired of hearing prevarications and prepackaged sound bites. And those things are extremely controversial. So you've got somebody the establishment doesn't like. You've got somebody who's, who says things that many people consider racist and horrible. Uh, and then on the other side, you have an establishment politician in Hillary Clinton, uh, so who I, many people consider criminal. For just a second. But sure. when you're saying many people consider them racist or, uh, you know, the things he Misogynistic. Say, for, <laughs> for example, I'm, I, are you saying this i mean i don't want to ask you directly what do you think but is there that's the first thing that that surprises me is there any way to not consider them racist how do you yeah is it just did you watch the republican national convention uh there were there were black people up there supporting donald trump uh saying he is not a racist so they don't consider what mm -hmm. he said racist okay all right that's that's fair enough keep going i, I yeah. i'm going to try not to interrupt people too much <laughs> no no that's okay no and that and that's kind that right there is the crux of, of why you want to have this conversation. Because right now there are people who are saying, how can you possibly, this is entirely different than it has been before. And it, and it is different, but it's hard to tell how different. Part of the reason, if, if I had to guess why we're having this and why we had Bernie Sanders supporters who are not wanting to support Hillary, think Hillary Clinton is, is crooked and, and shouting down speakers at the Democratic National Convention, is because... The establishments have comfortably excluded people who don't believe in them in both parties. They have consolidated the parties so that outside voices are not heard. Bernie Sanders was a socialist in Vermont, but he had to join the Democratic Party to even have a chance to run for president. And so 
I think this is very similar to what happened in the Brexit vote. People who are tired of not being listened to and tired of not having their opinions count uh, got angry and are starting to vote for people on the edges because they feel like they at least say things that are unexpected and give voice to part of their opinions that were never heard before. All right. Uh, I think that's a, a, a good description. Brian, do you want to go? Do you want to go second? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I agree with Tom on a lot of things. It was actually 72 with Nixon McGovern. Uh, people thought Nixon was the devil incarnate at the time. So there's a bit of a context and perceptions of uh, elections that we're, we're, we're looking at our time now and thinking, that, oh, it's so terrible. And it's like, well, not so much. Um, you know, we just don't have people don't have, have short memories and uh, don't take it into context what's going on. Uh, I agree with Tom with the uh, with the parties uh, with with Clinton with Clinton. It was pretty much it was pretty much rigged for her to get the nomination uh, with uh, Trump. I think he moved in uh, at a right time, but it but because uh, there was like 16 people running for it and he happened to get, you know, uh, like a third of the vote. And that that's what put him over. You know, he didn't get the majority of Republicans. Uh, I am not a Trump uh really a trump supporter i don't really care for him uh i was for rubio um and then you also got to think about the election um i think especially for people overseas you have to think about the uh american election as being in uh as the electoral college it's going to be state by state and it's not popular vote that's got nothing to do with it it's just winning state by state winning those electoral votes uh until you get to what uh, 272 276 i think um and that's how that works in the United States. Uh, and that's how, you know, like I said, that's how the candidates get. And it's such a long process, too. I think that's another thing that especially people from overseas look at it. And it's like, you know, the election cycle has been running since the last election cycle, basically. You know, <laughs> it doesn't really ramped up in the last year. You know, so these are just all long term things that, you know, because everybody's been looking at uh, at Clinton but of course, you know, over a year last year, we were all thinking, uh, you know, uh, Jeb Bush was going to be the guy, yeah. you know. But uh, that changed up. But like I said, sixteen candidates on the republic on the Republican side. That's what that's what squeezed uh, Trump in there. So you think there was too much? Uh, uh, the the votes were diluted, and uh, Trump fired up his base enough that he yeah. he managed to. Well, you got a lot of new votes. You got a lot, you got a lot of people that. Well, I don't. You know, to be honest, uh, you know, of course, you know, you had a lot of conservative commentators over the last few years. You know, everybody, all the Republicans, you know, that are were in establishment were all called rhinos, uh, Republicans in name only. But that's how I actually look at Trump. He is Republican in name only. He has not been a Republican very long, that he claims. You know, so. Even according by his own word, he has not been a Republican for years. He's been supporting Democrats before that, you know, I actually, including the, the Clintons. Yeah, I actually heard they were pretty close with the Clintons, yes. and their daughters are very good friends, hey, and they've decided correct. not to. And Chelsea are, yeah. were our friends, you know. So. Yeah, and Donald Trump was a registered talk, Democrat through most of the 2000s. Yeah, right. Right. And Hillary Clinton was president of the Young Republicans in college. 
<laughs> and so, Brian, um, just to talk about the other side as well, how do you view, um, well, how did you view Sanders, who isn't in the race anymore, and how do you look at Clinton? Right. Well, he had, Sanders didn't have a chance, as we definitely see now. Right. It was really was then. all stacked yeah. against him. Um, I, I'll be honest. Uh, I looked at I looked at Sanders, and I think Sanders has a better chance against Trump than Hillary. Hillary has just you know because personally, I de I despise Hillary as a political candidate. I despise her. There's just no way. I, I think she should be president. Just no way. So can uh, you Sanders on the other side. Sanders on the other side. You know what? I might stay home. You know, or <laughs> or. or In Nevada, we have none of the above. That's that's actually where I'm looking at right now is voting none of the above. Um, but Sanders, I mean, I don't like his policy. There's lots of stuff, but you know, the guy's sincere. I mean, there's something about him, trust him that, yeah, I think there's there's a trust level there, and uh, you know, I think there's a fairness too. I think that, I think he had a like kind of an you know he might be inherently fair, and he was always uh, you know I. I'd been looking, I'd looked at even before he became the candidate, I remember uh, watching video of town halls he had in Vermont and he was very, he had, you know, he had a lot of candor. He was, you know, he was upfront with the people and even the one of those he disagreed with. And, uh, you know, that kind of tenor that he set that I watched at his little town hall meetings, I was like, well, I was, you know, I was kind of impressed. I'm like, Hey, this guy, you know, You know, I think he's kind of, you know, a, a lunatic and policy wise, but you know what? He's a, you know, he's, he connects with the people, even when they disagree with him, you know, he was really fair, you know, mm. and that's just not something you're really going to see a lot, you know, especially from someone that's been in politics for so long. And so just to finish up, uh, the, the condemnation of Clinton, and I, I don't know her enough to make any judgment any serious judgment of her uh but the condemnation of clinton has been pretty strong from a lot of people that i talk to casually and that's something i mean in uh, to me i sort of understand her as a career politician uh but the vibe i get from a lot of people is that she's definitely a really bad choice that she, what you were saying basically you would never want to see her in the the white house can you tell us in a few words why you think she's so bad well i remember her in the clinton administration uh, it seems to be a lot of people don't remember certain things you had travelgate you had 400 fbi files were in her office of Republicans. She had them just, you know, she got them from the FBI and used those as like it created an enemies list per se. And then um, I got to say a lot of thing with the, the, her recent, uh, the, the FBI emails, investigation uh, thing. Huh? The, yeah. The, the, the email FBI thing? investigation on the classified emails. Personally, I, when I was in the army, I was in intelligence. I had a top secret clearance. I know exactly how, classified material is supposed to be handled i did it you know I, for i did it for years uh when i was in the army i worked with classified top secret material and everything she did was completely i would have been someone in my position uh, i would have been sent to fort leavenworth which is the big maximum security military prison <laughs> out of making big rocks into little ones and because everything you sign when you do it is like 10 years ten thousand dollars 10 years ten thousand dollars you know it's in 10 years in prison so Uh, she totally got away with that. That was that was just ridiculous in my opinion. But like I said, that was that's and then. But like for me, I I remember the Clinton administration. I remember the enemies list. I remember you know it's like and then the you know the pardons at the end of the people the problems with Haiti. 
Um, but doesn't you know, that uh, again? I don't. I don't know enough of it. Maybe, but doesn't that? happen with and it's terrible to say but isn't that the same with every politician almost they all have skeletons and they all have things that you can whip up into something unacceptable well i agree but this was like with hillary just like i said with the recent uh, classified emails those are multiple felonies every mm. violation is a, a felony i mean just every little word that you know it's just Right. You know, and it's just kind of like, oh, it's just a mistake. I mean, you know, and even still, she, even though the FBI director set up a good case against her and then didn't do it, she still, they, she, her and her campaign still deny that they did any. We weren't careless. We weren't careless. I'm like, come on. Yeah, I think that yeah. that's. I mean, to be to be fair, I have to admit that this is pretty hard to swallow. I mean, as not as someone in the, you know, intelligence community, just as a as someone who knows about tech that kind of thing is really hard to accept that she would not use a secure uh you know device right. for 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 her handling her documents but yeah, it just seems like common sense doesn't yeah. it i mean and yeah. it's the kind of thing that you get incredibly angry at people for doing it's like choosing a, a simple password and you're like why would you anyway right. um all right um Thank you, Brian. Uh, let's uh, let's finish up with Wendy and uh, your description of how the campaign has been going and all of this. Yeah. So I should probably clarify. I'm a psychotherapist, and so I'm going to spend a lot of my effort today on a lot of the social psychology behind all of this because I think it's very relevant and explains a lot of that stuff that feels so unexplainable. Like what what is happening? There's a lot of a lot of stuff to explain that but um how i see things at this point is i uh i agree that we have you know blind hindsight a little bit we think all politicians up to this point were nice um i mean there was violence at george wallace's most of his rallies i mean there's been a lot of really bad behavior by a lot of people over a period of time and i think we forget which is is sort of a natural thing to do when you remember your life or the video games you played as a kid or the tv shows that were on when you were a kid those seem like the best or some you know your frame of reference really plays into how you view certain things right okay but i do think there's there's two things that have been happening in the last 20 30 years that have led us to this moment and the first is corporatism that has democrats have moved further and further away from labor unions and sort of protecting the working class and that's that ideal um that that sort of was inherent in in democrats um as that they have moved more towards corporate and and the republicans have done the same what happens is there's no real difference between the two parties this way um they're all sort of it all feels sort of like they're in the pockets of somebody rich um and so that's why you have the rise of the populist i mean you um, brian just described Bernie Sanders. I lived in Vermont when Bernie was there, and I thought it, it, there was a very similar, like you described. There's like this is this guy's real, and he's like us. He's kind of human. Maybe his ideas are a little crazy. I had a like a crazy uncle vibe when I was there. <laughs> like <laughs> that guy's a crazy uncle, but he he speaks to this populist sentiment that has be, sort of gotten ignored by the, the Democrats in particular. Yeah, his um, sincerity Don, is really genuine, yeah. Right, absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, remember the George Bush, I, I, or George W. Bush. I want to have a beer with that guy. That sentiment of like, I want a guy who's smarter than me. I want a guy like me. 
is a section of the population that has sort of gotten left behind when this populism has died and corporatism and big money and big everything, you know, has sort of gets all the the time, right? So Donald Trump similarly has a populist message. So I really have been racking my brain, like what is so appealing about him to certain segments of the population and why then will he potentially win if he does? And I think some of it is this, that, you know, Hillary Clinton is a politician. She will speak as a politician. She will always do the things that feel like what a politician will do. Even when she makes mistakes, she will cover them up like a politician. And that's what everyone's kind of sick of. And this populist, genuine stuff, even though Donald Trump sounds like a crazy, crazy person, we think it's authentic because I think he authentically is crazy. And so he's just saying <laughs> the stuff that's coming out of his mouth, right? But that has that populist flair that people crave, okay? That's the one trend. The second trend is that the distrust of previously established sources of information. So you you can start with the, the, the conservative side. It distrust of Hollywood, they're all a bunch of liberals, distrust of, distrust of science or higher education as, as higher education has become more and more liberal. There's more and more distrust of, that's, of, that's of the most uh, mind blowing thing to me, the, the level of distrust of science. And actually what we've talked about, a lot of what we're talking about now is reminiscent of the Brexit conversation with that, uh, you know, this idea that facts don't really matter and we're sick of the experts. And that is very right. strange to me. Right. And, and I, just, I think uh, I have, uh, a, I so, have a, sorry, uh, Brian, you wanted to oh. add something. I, I just said, I disagree with that. The, your, that packaging, uh, they just distrust science and everything. It's, uh, I can see, I see it more as being a little skeptical. That's all. Uh, right. And I, okay. I have a good reason for why I would say this. Let me, let me explain really quick. Please. Is that, if you think about how science is presented to the average person, it's take all your vitamin C and you will, you know, it'll cure cancer. And two days later, another study comes out that is reported that don't take vitamin C, it causes cancer. So what you have is through, and, uh, and we'll get to media in a second. What you have is the, the, you know, the summary of a, a new study comes out, not the whole body of the work, not the analysis, not the bigger picture. You get one study that sounds sexy and it gets reported immediately out of context. And two weeks later, something will be different. How does anyone not have whiplash and stop believing the things that are coming across? So skepticism is maybe a better word, but there are absolutely people who just really are distrusting certain sources that used to be trusted. That's my point. So media and news is another one, and government is a big one for Republicans. Democrats have their own version of this, right? So this isn't just half the yeah, population. Yeah, anti-vaxxers, yeah. Yeah, anti-vaxxers, food. Yeah, exactly. Food's not GMO. safe and big and big business, right? So what you have uh, the The anti-vaxxers are, are uh, Democrats? Largely, yeah. Oh, often, larger often, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Yes. So just so to be clear, science, those are are the people the who think that who think that vaccination causes autism. Correct. Correct. And, and wow. or they oh, and or the thought that everyone else is vaccinated. I mean, it's it's absolute ignorance, absolutely. But it tends to be on the left that that happens. Well, There's also yeah, that, the that has, distrust. That's my first mind blowing moment. I can't. You know, I would never have guessed in a million years that that was mostly uh, uh, Democrats. That you know. 
Democrat-leaning people that would be anti-vaxxers. But anyway, sorry, keep going. I'm just no, startled. Okay. <laughs> and then the, the Democrats also have, you know, distrust of big business. You know, they, mm. they tend to trust government more and big business less, and then Republicans are kind of vice versa. So here you have Trump, who is a businessman with a populist message. The man has zero experience as a political leader, has never been elected, has never run for anything. He is the guy that sum summarizes these two movements over the last so long. And I feel like it's the tipping point, which is why he is where he is and, and, and why Hillary is where she is at the moment. Maybe has a different analysis, but maybe it's connected. But I, I think that explains Trump to me anyway. Hmm. All right. So I'm, I'm going to take a stab at it from the outside, uh, the outside perspective. And um, I watched from afar uh, a lot of the, the Trump things, but it was really in sound bites. And I don't think it was a fair assessment of, you know, because he is, he looks funny, he makes funny faces, and he's easy to make fun of. So that, when you when you look at it without properly looking into it it's easy to uh caricature him and i and i ended up watching a little bit more of what he says uh and the the the, the big thing so maybe that's not enough but i watched the entirety of the rnc acceptance speech um oh, you poor thing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well actually it was it was a little bit painful but it, it's i think it's important to actually and i'm sure that a lot of people Uh, on both sides, vote on sound bites and, and tiny things and, and hatred of, of the other side. Um, but the RNC acceptance speech was, uh, for me, I, it, it sort of uh, made me understand something that I had never seen before. Before, I thought he's a weird, strange, you know, clown person that I don't understand how he can get there. Uh, after the speech and during the speech, I realized that he is a typical um, far-right demagogue that we have, you know, it's easy to make fun of him, but we have those people in Europe, and I'm sure everywhere, but we have those people in Europe. We have um, Le Pen, uh, father in France, her, his daughter is a little bit more mellow, although still far-right. Um, we have Farage in the UK. We have a number of, of examples of those kinds of uh, uh, messages. And it's a very, you know, it's a very uh, angry I mean, it was every. The thing is, everyone has been talking about this, but there was very little policy in the speech, and there was a lot of um, uh, a lot of appealing to feelings. Um, and it's not, as I was saying, it's not dissimilar to what we have in Europe. And I don't think that it's uh, some people. If you ask about the Front National, which is Le Pen's party in France, some people would say, "Oh, if if that." Uh, Marine Le Pen got elected, or even let's say her father got elected, it would be the end of the country. And I strongly disagree with those people. I think it would be really bad. Um, I don't think it's it. I think they have a lot of ideas that don't make sense, and they promote uh, isolation, uh, isolationism, and and they they're very. Uh, angry and hateful towards others, whatever other is, it, it's very uh, antagonistic. But it's not, 
you know, the end of the world. And in the case well, of Trump... Once in office, reality would hit him in the face. So. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, exactly. And in the case of Trump, it's... What surprises me, I guess, is not... It's not the fact that he's far right. He is classic. And I had a conversation over Twitter with a lovely lady whom I spoke to on the way back from BlizzCon a few a couple of years ago. And I said, oh, now I understand he's a far right party person. Um, and he's the extreme of the Republican Party who's on the right uh, of the political spectrum. So it shouldn't surprise anyone, really. But... Um, and she was saying, oh, I don't really like that label. You know, we shouldn't label people. In this case... I think it's fair. He is actually a far right. His ideas, what he's professing is far right. And so what surprises sometimes. me sometimes. Sometimes, okay. Right. That's well, I I'm basing this on the RNC acceptance speech. Mm -hmm. It's it it seemed to me like all of it was far right, wasn't it? Is that not a, a Yeah, he a, he was throwing red meat to the crowd in that speech yeah. for sure. But mm. he has espoused views that are far to the left of say Norbert Hofer uh, in Austria because Donald Trump isn't himself far right or far left. Donald Trump is a pragmatist. So you're you're not wrong to say he has been espousing many of the, the far right views in order to win the nomination and satisfy the Republican base. Uh, but he also is but very moderate matters, on, on on lots of issues like gay rights and abortion, which would normally incense that base. And and the right. weirdness of him is the ability to distract from that and say, yeah, but I'm going to say these things about immigration and security that will keep you happy uh, and, and fire you up. I don't know that he believes any of the things he says. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Does it matter, though? That's what he's running on. That's what, mm -hmm. I mean, I know every politician lies, but that's, that's his program. Say, that's believe. his platform. Yeah. yeah. And that's what right, people but he are doing. He doesn't lie about it. some that's... of them. He just doesn't bring them up much. Is it? But do you think with well, Mike Pence, he'll change his mind in the same mm. day? So. Right. That should, that too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, but basically, but it's still. I mean, maybe he doesn't mention it. Maybe the the RNC speech isn't representative of his whole character. But I'm still surprised that he's getting so much. You know, the polls now are are maybe half and half, uh, maybe a little bit less, a little bit more. We get for that kind of rhetoric, we get maybe ten, fifteen percent maybe 20 um, uh, of the of the voters who vote for them. And that's, you know, a significant part of the population. But I don't think we had actually a, a, an instance in 2002 of that far-right uh, 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 representative, uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who got to the second round of the presidential election. And at that point, the country rallied and he, was, uh, he lost uh, 80 to 20. So, again, this is not unprecedented in our, uh, and he was, he, he looks weird as well. He was saying outrageous things for the sake of it, less than Trump, but still. Um, so it's just what surprises me is how much he's getting, uh, how much uh, uh, appeal he's getting. The, the, well, that kind of far-right rhetoric would not, you know, go ahead, Wendy. I think, sorry, I was going to say there's a psychological reason that I think is, uh, at least seems clear to me, which is there are a number of people with the technological advancement of society. There are a number of, and they're often white males, who have been left behind by the economy, that factory jobs are gone, 
you know, used to be able to get out of high school, get a job. You That is not a, a lifelong paying with a pension. Those don't exist like they did anymore. So you've, you've got a number of underskilled, undereducated workers who hear this message and think, you're right, my life isn't great. If you if you hear make America great again and your life's really good, you're like, well, I mean, I guess, you know, that pothole could be filled down the street, but you don't have <laughs> your whole core saying, absolutely, my life has sucked since 1978. And you want someone to come in who sounds like you and you can relate to and is because we trust people who are like us. So there's the story. How you is, go to France. How go is ahead. Donald Trump like anyone who... <clears throat> is is incensed by this kind of you know he's a billionaire he sits on literally golden Reality thrones TV. yeah right he is an actor and mm. he knows how to create i mean that is he's an entertainer and what we have is an entertainer that many people believe is the real thing and that real thing is uh, i mean he's He's educated in elite schools, but he says stupid stuff like, I have, I have words or whatever he says. Yeah, he, I have he's the dumbed best himself words. down. I have the best, I have the best words. words. He's either dumb or he's dumbing himself down, which I would assume is part of the act. But what he's doing, and this is what happens with all right-wing propaganda and potentially left-wing propaganda in other places, but this, we're talking about right for a minute, and that is you're appealing to those who have been left behind economically in some form or another. That is... And then you have the fear of immigration. So, so you have actually, all those folks me, who come in. Let, the let left me, does it too. The what? Sorry, Brian? The left does it too. Free college. We're going to give all billions of dollars worth of your loans. You know, they they use that stuff to appeal to, you know, the people who feel like, you know, nobody's taking care of me. You know, both, you know, like I said, both sides are kind of doing it, you know. Mm. Yeah, I could. Right, go but on they on never it. pull it off. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he has said he thinks Planned Parenthood is a great organization. No far right, right. candidate in the Republican Party would say that. He has Correct. actually supported universal health care and then said he doesn't support universal health care. Right. Uh, but I think the big one is, and, and this go, plays into the point that Wendy was making, is he rails against free trade agreements. That yeah. free trade is a big Both plank of the of the far right. But Donald Trump has turned it into sounding like a far right thing by railing against it because of that emotional appeal to what Wendy's talking about, saying people are worried about their livelihood and they don't want foreign companies taking advantage of that. So what? what would normally be a very like Bernie Sanders far left issue, Donald Trump makes sound like a far right issue, but it's not usually. Right. 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 He, and yeah. this is where his genius lies, is that he could make everything he can flip back and forth because, again, people aren't they don't really care what the policy is. If you've heard politicians promise things over and over and over throughout your life and you're not benefiting, your neighbor might be, but you're not, then, of course, that distrust comes in. And then, of course, a guy comes along and just talks sort of regular and talks about, you know, says things like, I'm going to build a wall to Mexico. I mean, really, <laughs> truly, if you think about that and I'm going to get Mexico to pay for it. That's the kind of thing you'd yell at like a, a football game. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but it so, feels well, like no, it's protecting me. Yeah. Very few people have a good grasp of the immigration issue. I was in the Border Patrol, and I, almost no one on either side really knows that much about it and how it works. And if I don't hear the words visa reform, I don't pay attention because they don't know what they're talking about. Right. So what do you think of that? Because, again, I don't want to 
you know, obviously we spend more time on Trump than we do on, on Clinton. And if we want to talk more about Clinton, we can. But it's just that the most uh, incomprehensible thing, uh, Clinton, we understand, you know, she's the establishment. She's what we, we've known forever. And people are tired of it. That's an easy description. Right. She swung but, left, though. I mean, she is she has gone to left. She's against free trade now, even though her husband passed NAFTA, even though she helped, uh, you know, put together the TPP uh, free trade agreement. Um, and I think the, the TPP recently, I mean, I think that's part of the part of the distrust is that is the way the Obama administration was so secretive about the TPP. Uh, agreement. Uh, they, I mean, even members of Congress had to go into a special secure room just to look at it. It was kept that much under wraps. So, But you know, we you all know, hate that, the TPP. I thought you guys wanted it. And now I don't understand who wants it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I, I'm, I'm a hmm. free trade. I know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Republican. I, I think free trade overall is, uh, is a good hmm. thing. I think more free trade, the better. And the more we're interconnected with other countries and things like that, I think it's better off for everybody mm -hmm. and definitely in the I, long I'm, run. I'm with you on that. My problem with the TPP is that it puts in more restrictions, uh, things like restrictions on pharmaceuticals, restrictions on copyright that are in opposition of free trade. So it's, it's, right. it's, it's a poorly written free trade agreement. And well, that no is not the kind of – well, in the leaks that we've seen, yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, and that's why they don't want anyone to look at it because it's not truly a free trade agreement in, in 100%. Yeah. Um, and, well, and, 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 and anyway, th that, that, is, that is beside the point. I think the point that's really interesting is what you just said, Patrick, was, well, maybe we should talk about Hillary Clinton, but Trump's more interesting. That's how he won the primaries. Yep. Mm. Yep. Right. I mean, I, for no, months, I, I, I have guilty, heard <laughs> for months, I've heard journalists say, well, we're not going to really take him seriously. I mean, over and over and over. This is just right. a joke, but we're still giving him tons and tons of coverage. But he's I never going to happen. So, yeah, it's it's still it's still, you know, we, we at this point, I think we're trying to understand the whole thing. And I, again, we understand Clinton. We don't understand Trump. I'm understanding him a little bit better now. But, for mm. example, the Make America Great Again. My first reaction is, when was it not great? And what you're saying, Wendy, makes it very clear. It's it's not, you know, America isn't great. It's a message to those who feel disenfranchised. And it says, we're going to make your life better now. Right? That's That's yeah, yeah. what it actually means. So that I understand now. Um, I still it's still ask, political. It's still promising something yeah. you can't do, you can't fix by building a wall yeah. or getting rid of all the Muslims or whatever your well, plans so are. So that that but is a question that for that the. Stuff seriously, I don't like that people take that stuff seriously. In regards to like the wall and the the Muslim ban, that stuff can't happen. It's the just the courts alone and the Congress, and it would never happen. And when people really take that too seriously. I'm always kind of rolling my eyes, like, really? I mean, it, but it's but if not that's the happen. only policy you offer, I mean, what policy has he offered? That's the that's the problem. Is that it's yeah, the substance? <laughs> I know. 
I know. That's that's what's scary. Well, that, that was that know what, you didn't even know what the triad was. When I remember watching that debate, I'm like, really? That the basic <laughs> nuclear defense, you know, strategy that, that's been around for decades doesn't know what triad is. And I was just like, ugh. Well, so yeah, I'm actually you answered my question. I, I was going to ask you, Brian, which is, you know, how do you look at this? Uh, you know, at the wall and the Muslim ban, which to us seem very strange, but I think you're, you're also think you're rolling your eyes is what you're saying when he says stuff like that. And when people say stuff like that, yeah, because it's not going to happen. It's, it's mm. just never going to happen. Even with, even if like the Republicans had this, you know, they got the Senate and the house not going to happen. You know, the, the wall doesn't make any sense. I've worked on the border. I've seen the, you know, the fence that they have now, there could be better fencing areas, but you, How are you gonna you gonna have like guys on a wall on the whole border? <laughs> so okay, have you so been who does? There? Have you seen the the terrain? <laughs> the terrain alone in a lot of places is is the barrier. Yeah. You Just know the and, maintenance to keep that fence up, <laughs> right? Well, are you, are you gonna run water and electricity <laughs> along that whole place? I mean, honestly, if people like saw what it's like on the border, and I was in San Diego, and that was there were areas that were you know. Uh, you know, it, it would take somebody 15, 30 minutes just to get to you if you had a problem. Yeah, um, Big Bend National Park. Diego, I've seen know. fences down there in South Texas. They don't stand. They don't stand in that weather very easy. <laughs> right. You All know, right. So go, you go to Ajo, Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know. So lots of uh, that you know, actually bleeds into another thing I wanted to talk about, which is uh something we we mentioned in um in the Brexit episodes which is this idea that facts and reality don't matter and part of it is the experts that we addressed and you talked about Wendy but another part of it is the provable facts and that was something that bothered me in the Brexit thing with the 350 million pounds going to the EU you know a week going to uh the national health health uh, service And here, there's one example, but but there are many. It was about the the crime, um, the crime increase in in the country, and the trend has been demonstrably, you know, the FBI numbers for decades that crime, violent crime, is going down. And um, there was an interview I can't remember. Uh, it was CNN, I believe, uh, with Newt Gingrich, and he said essentially, it's I'm barely paraphrasing but what he said was facts don't matter and the interviewer was saying well you know it's it's the statistics the actual statistics that say crime is down and he was saying yes but the american people feel it's not and yeah he said the average well, american does not think crime is down does not think they are safer liberals have a whole set of statistics that theoretically may be right but that's not where people are people are frightened yeah. Well, the statistics this for this year, the Wall Street Journal just had an article came out today that in the 15 largest cities, crime is up this year in the 15 largest cities in the United States. So, I mean, the the FBI statistics, yeah, that's all true up until recently. But do you really think that this is the the upward trend that now crime is going to be up forever? I mean, or for the foreseeable future and this crime is down for a little while. Yeah. But I mean, well, let me explain. Beyond, Can I explain just the, one thing that's happening here? Okay, the, sure. It, there's a psychological principle behind this, which is the majority illusion. And there's some cool graphics online you can look at how where you're looking. Take your social network. They've they've been able to study this with lots of different networks, but take just your social network. If you are, you know, the, the reality is, 
a friend of yours is going to have more friends than you have. And those super connectors feel big in your social sphere and in others. And if they all share the same opinion or sending the same things, people hear things in their echo chamber really loudly. And the impact is that it feels like it's the majority. So this, this works with a lot of things. Like you wonder how Trump can go from sort of, you know, the, the biker gangs and the disillusioned and all these groups that support him. And suddenly he's got almost half the country willing to vote for him. Some of that becomes so because of this majority illusion principle. And I think that's true of crime. I think it can be true of lots of different things. When you've been robbed, you are convinced crime is going up. If mm. your neighbor's been robbed, you're convinced it's going up. If you don't know a single person who's been robbed and you don't watch TV, you would think it's a really safe place. But TV has become the neighbor. Yeah. The news is the neighbor. And so the feeling, I mean, there's a reason this. So whether statistics show it or not, you guys are right. If you feel it, it's real. And, and that's what the people in your circle. That's what Gingrich was, was saying, I guess. Um, well, I actually think that crime is underreported. I know in my community, I have a security company. Um, if you call the non-emergency number for the police, you are on hold for 20 to 30 minutes before you get to even talk to somebody. And most people will just hang up. So, and I've seen cops too that I've dealt with, and uh, they downgrade downgrade the crime, or they just won't take a report. And you think so, that wasn't the case before? Not, but I think it has to do more with Manning that uh, that they're like in my community, uh, the amount of police per hundred thousand has gone down. Uh, the previous sheriff didn't hire anybody. Um, you know, spent money on other things. You know, it's just. It's just kind of one of those things. I think that contributes. Like I said, on my on my ground level, that I see it. Like I said, I think the like I said, the police in my community um, aren't doing the job they could do. And so, like I said, downgrading you, crimes and stuff. You know. So I guess the way I was going to approach this is: all right, there there are these feelings uh, that are incredibly mm -hmm. important to the way you're going to go uh, vote, but there are also uh facts that you can look up and rely on and another issue is uh basically what you were saying wendy which is tv does propagate a lot of you know uh, uh feelings <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. in it's been the case for a long time but as we all know reporting that nothing's happening is not really sexy so systemically you're only he hearing about the bad things like Even the terrorism, which I'm guessing is going to be a controversial uh, uh, thing that I say, as bad as terrorism is, and we've been the victims of this for, you know, the past couple of years in France, repeatedly, so I, I feel entitled to, to say something like this, as bad as it is, and it is bad, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't warrant, I think, uh, transforming our state in a police state which is what is happening now in in france to an extent that could be a whole other discussion but basically what i'm trying to say is if you look at this all the time you, you there would be other things that are more urgent to focus about to focus on but if you hear about this all the time on tv and it's anything people are talking about because it's it's sexy and it does bring the ratings i mean everyone knows about this and Is there, I'm not just saying this for the sake of saying it, is there a way to counter that feeling which is not, 
based in reality. I mean, if we do have the facts, first I'm going to ask Brian, because you you uh, mentioned the underreported aspect of, of crime, but if we do have facts if, mm-hmm. and we presented to uh, the people, do you think that's valid or would you doubt the facts sure. as well, you know, or the numbers or the studies? And I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just, I'm a kind of both minds. Like I said, I see it with the ground level, but I mean, crime isn't as bad as it was like in the 70s. I mean, it was really terrible. Uh, Las Vegas in the United States back then was the second, had was number two in crime for a long time. You know, uh, it was it was bad. Um, but I think I think today, especially with the news cycles and things like just today in France, where that, a, that a priest was beheaded, you know, by some, you know, by some guys and some new some nuns assaulted. I mean, that that's a big headline that that percolates in, I think, a little bit more, you know, uh, things like that, you know. Uh, and, the, and I'm not trying to 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 diminish the importance of all of this. Obviously, it's incredibly correct. important. Sure. Um, but I guess maybe talking to, to Tom and Wendy, is there a way to get somehow magically, it's funny I say magically, but a picture of reality that people can judge objectively, like in, in perfect land with, with perfect you know, uh, information accessible because the internet, you have access to everything, but then everything loses its value because you don't know what to trust. How do we make sense of it? And how do we make reality matter? You know, it's, it's a very, it's the, uh, to me, I think it would fix everything. If we could actually judge the facts, is that possible? Tom, maybe. I don't know that, I don't know that people work like that. I mean, I, because I do a daily news show about technology, I very carefully cultivate sources that I know I can trust over repeat experiences. And so when I see something reported by one outlet that I trust, I'm more likely to lend credence to that. But I still look for multiple outlets. But that's because I do a news show. The average person just wants to read a few things. And, and a lot of times they just want to read a headline and then they pass that headline along. And very good friends who are very smart and some of them brothers of people on this show have done that to me where they <laughs> pass a headline along and say, what about this? And I and I say, well, wait, hold on. If you look at the source and you read this, you'll see that the headline is like, all right, fine. And 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 that's normal. That's what people do. So getting the facts is is a skill, right? And then on top of that, add the in added to that that people don't care about the facts. They are looking for facts that bolster how they feel. And I think that's one of the things Donald Trump has been brilliant about is he says things that will incite the people who don't like him already to then insult him, which then makes the people who want to like him move further towards him to defend him against these people who don't understand because they're taking something out of context. Well, that's a doomsday scenario. The facts don't matter. People don't care about them. And I, I agree that, you know, if I'm being completely honest, which I really try to do on this show, maybe not so much everywhere else, but I have a tendency to look at the headlines and maybe read the article later, unless it's for something serious. Like if I, if I have to exactly report the, the news on tech or on... I do that too sometimes. So... I'm very. I'm being somewhat hypocritical here. Um, well, and but, Tom I, I, is. Tom is right. It's human nature. The, all of this exists because of the way our brains work and don't work. Sadly. <laughs> so all right. death is the tragedy. A million a statistic. It's yeah. Just, yeah. 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 You know, that's true. Our um, minds 
have a hard time contemplating the bigger, you know, the bigger numbers, the bigger picture sometimes. Mm. I, which which I'm going to throw in one annoying thing I love to say. About. And yes, my brother, I wouldn't trust him as far as I throw a <laughs> stick about news. But um, because, no. Anyway, is this... Um, yeah, we can hear about some tragic thing that affects this many people. But when you're eye to eye with a real person, that is one of those statistics, it changes everything. And there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Proximity to uh, reality. Actually, I mean, and you'll know this if you've ever been in a place where there's a disaster or there's an attack of some sort or there's the community bonding and building that occurs is phenomenal. And, and Brian you can, and Tom can probably speak to this as well. When after 9-11... There was not a person in America that was not your brother or sister for a few months. But that isn't the normal mainstay of human psychology. And so when these things happen, we super bond. We're really good in groups in those moments. But when there's not so much going on, we split into our tribes like we have forever. And we wear our team colors and we hate the other team. And, you know, we, we do various things that make this kind of acidity that's not even a word you know the pain between us thank you between us exist um and so that's what you're going to get i think i think it's a tricky thing to fix because it's within each of us wow and okay i have i have have the belief this is just a belief it it doesn't have as much evidence behind it as i would like that one of the reasons we're seeing these movements in Brexit, in Austria, uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, and here in the United States with Bernie and Donald Trump, um, is because people have been pushed out of the process. They don't feel, yes. and again, it's perception, maybe, they don't feel like they have an effect on what is happening. And that is that is typical. Uh, over time, people in power will try to consolidate that power and and they'll try to give us you know give a sap they'll try to make people feel like they have power but over time people learn that they don't and we have gotten to the point where people are tired of feeling like their vote counts when it doesn't or when they when they when they look and they say well wait nothing changed you you said you were going to do this that didn't happen and and that frustration is coming to a boiling point and either you increase transparency and you increase participation or the people in power consolidate and try to move that power farther from the populace and that's when you get revolutions and wars absolutely and if you look at if you look at congress today there's not a single person in congress ever elected in either party doesn't matter who is not a millionaire so you take the majority of the United States who are not millionaires and they need someone to seem like them. So we pick a billionaire entertainer because he's the most like us. I don't know if we pick Hillary. She, we don't think she's like us either. I mean, that's the reality is when you have millionaires getting to, to make decisions for people who are not millionaires, this effect can happen. Of how, more, more Bernie consolidation. and Rubio are not millionaires. They aren't elected currently, are they? Well, guess, Bernie's the senator. Bernie is, is that's yeah, right. He's so Rubio. But he's Vermont, dude. Socialist, I promise. He doesn't need to have any money to be that. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> mm. So is there is there a way to fix this? I mean, breaking down... Uh, a lot of people are, are saying, oh, but he, you know, uh, Trump is the outside uh, uh, candidate and he's going to kick the, the system or, you know, it's got somehow going to have an effect. Will it, though? Let's say he does get... 
I can't well, believe I think I'm what, saying this. I think but, it's what Tom said about some about transparency, especially with the the Brexit vote. That uh, I think a lo- a lot of that, and then polls say uh, you know say that had a lot to do with about control, and that the EU, the bureaucracy in the Brussels, is not as transparent, and all they do is make more rules, and you know uh, that's how they felt. Yeah, that's, but, th- that's how that's they felt. The truth, though, too. No, 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 you know? no, no. It, it it is. I mean, it it's the truth. That's that's how they feel, but it's Correct. not the truth that the the thing about Europe is that it is an incredibly complex machine. It is, absolutely. Are there issues? Yes. Are there things that don't make sense that you can point to and say, ha, 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 look what Europe is doing? Yes, of course. But it is also an administrative machine that makes the entire continent friends, work together, <laughs> speak together. Yeah, but it, it's you know, also it, a bureaucracy that makes more rules, puts up more barriers. That was one of the promises of the EU, is that regulations would be simplified. And that hasn't happened. It's actually more regulation has been in place. I, honestly, since- I disagree. I don't. I disagree, too. <laughs> I live here, too. <laughs> it is the truth, though, that they have passed. I mean, it, it regulations are more complex now. There, there are more regulations there because since the we, EU started. Yes, because we realized that some of the things we did before, we shouldn't. Like, but, we shouldn't have But flavor. the promise of the EU was to cut down on that. The That's- promise of the EU was to prevent more conflict. Yes, And exactly. when you exit the EU... See, the thing with Britain is that when they were when their economy was sucking, the EU sounded awesome. As their economy grew, and they were like, I don't want to be bossed around anymore. That's typical Britain, right? And so, <laughs> and there are also many underemployed, angry white guys that would vote for Trump potentially as well. I mean, there's a similar vibe of, sorry to throw in white, but there's that, like, hey, life isn't better for me. There's no factory work for those guys either. And the EU represents this free trade, this free movement between countries that they don't feel is benefiting them. Yeah, but the the EU has cut down and... They they have cut down and increased regulation at the same time. And and that's the the tricky part to wrap your head around. EU has cut down regulation because you don't have a different regulation in France than you have in Germany that you have in Netherlands, uh, and it has harmonized things. But at the same time, you know you're not you're not wrong, Brian, that they have they have also added regulations for different businesses as they've arisen, and they have they've come up with new ways of regulating trade within that EU zone. Well, the other thing too, with the when you're talking about the Brexit vote, I think it's. Eh. Saying that it's a white male. Well, there's there was an over seventy percent voter participation, and fifty two percent of those people uh, voted for the Brexit. And like I guess I'm not for that. I'm more like I said, I'm free trade. But I think it's just casually dismissing those people's feelings that that you know it was just white people that you know wanted to get out or didn't. You know, I, I don't think that's a simplification. I think it was just more. I think like I said, I think it had a lot more to do with the control. You know, that they didn't feel. That the EU was responsive enough, and that's on the EU. They needed they needed to make those people feel. You know, they need to be more responsive. You know, to their members. So yeah, no, that that I mean, I don't know it's about true. responsive. The the thing is, uh, I mean, another issue is trying to explain complex ideas simply, mm-hmm. and I don't right. know how we uh, we we manage that because you were you know brian yourself you were saying well the immigration thing they don't they don't even know what they're talking about and that's because it's not as simple as build a wall and oh no 
<laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, but and and you know, it's the case. I think it was. Uh, uh, I say weaponized, but instrumentalized uh, in the discussion about the Brexit. There was a lot of that in the in ev- any election, right? Any, sure. uh, it it always happens, and how it sort of relates to this idea of do the facts matter? Can we make them matter somehow? Because talking about facts and talking about a complex situation requires a little bit more time, a little bit more. Uh, uh, you know, calm conversation, which is very difficult to have. I think we're we're being pretty good here, but it's very difficult to have in regular political settings. Is that is is it possible to present the complex ideas? I feel that would be the job of the media. I think there should be, you know, all right, the immigration thing. What is the problem? Let's talk to experts. Let's talk to people on the ground. The definitive answer on the uh, immigration issue. Except yeah, over that doesn't years, bring in the clicks. Yeah, over the years, I've heard I've only I heard one interview on NPR years ago uh, with two former uh, commissioners of the Immigration and Naturalization Service, and that that they the first thing they were talking about was visa reform. I was like, oh, finally! But that's the only time I've ever heard that. Like I said, it, yeah, I mean, it's just a much more complex issue. It's much more. And so, but so the thing is, they they there goes might exist. Truck taking our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> they might exist on some corner of the internet, but people don't care. People don't. Right. So well, and and that, well, that, that's the frustrating. Fill it down in ten second bite. Right. You can't make a you know nine things you won't believe about immigration reform. Uh, why not? Why not? Why why this. can't we do I it? Mean, may, yeah, maybe you can try, but it does. No one has been able to make that work, and lots of people have tried. Uh, so, so maybe you can. Uh, but I, I think there's two things. One is we we don't want to read things that are good for us. We want to read things that entertain us, which is what Wendy was saying about Donald Trump earlier. He's and very good. And confirm our bias. <laughs> you want we want confirmation bias, Correct. absolutely, and. The government is set up, at least in the United States, and I think in in most Western democracies, where you need to get the money to get reelected. And so to get the money, you have to actually pay more attention to the donors. And I think it's exaggerated to say, and it's always the Koch brothers. It's not. Uh, It can be small donors. Bernie Sanders is going to be just as beholden to those $27 an average people as he is to, you know, big business. But that is not representative, right? It, in other words, it's not one person. Uh, it's vote. more representative it's when it's, 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 well, it's all more red herring. So. Yeah. No, but in other words, right? money is the thing that you have to focus on, not actual issues. Because and so there, you do, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. You, you do whatever will bring in that money for good or for ill. And we know there has not been a winner of, of the presidency in how many years that did not have more money in the bank than the other guy that is it's been consistent from as long as they've been keeping records the one with the money wins and that's i mean that's very telling so campaign finance reform is that i mean it's dead in the water every time it's presented to the people who have to finance or reform their own way they got into power so it creates this sort of nasty cycle is it possible that sometimes at some point because in France, at least, we have a two-round presidential election. First round, you have lots of different p- 
parties that offer their candidate. Obviously, usually, you know, 90% of the time, the two main parties end up on the second round and then you have to vote for one of the two. But in that You're first crazy. round, um, <laughs> but in that first round, you get lots of different parties that, and it does influence the the president and, you know, the, the second round very much. They have to make alliances. They have to decide who they're going to listen to and would that ever be something possible in the U.S.? I mean, you would have to reform. We don't the even directly choice. elect our president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <You would> have <laughs> to. Electoral but, college. But you know. isn't that isn't that something that would? Because we're talking about a lot of the problems, and I think we're doing a good job at at explaining how this entire situation is it, it has taken hold. And I'm noticing uh, uh, gladly that we've moved off of Trump, although we might get back to him at some point. Ah, oh, darn it. Uh, you just did. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Jinx> but, <laughs> <laughs> but would that be something, you know, fixing the, 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 the system again, electing, uh, uh, Trump probably won't do it. Electing, uh, Clinton certainly won't do it. It, it, would there be a way, a, a one-issue candidate or something that would uh, propose, for example, the French system? Maybe they wouldn't call it the French system. They would call it the freedom system. Uh, and that would be easier for people to vote for. But, you know, is that something that could Still happen? Still know it's or French. <laughs> well, a lot of well, good I, things in the U.S. are French, too. There's a movement to get uh, the Electoral College undermined uh, that is making slow progress and may never get there, where they've gotten several states to agree that if the majority of states also pass this law, they will give they'll make it the law that all of their electoral votes will go to the winner of the popular vote. Uh, we can't even get that change. Never going to happen. Right. So getting something like uh, a runoff system or ranked choice voting uh, is is on the presidential level very, very difficult. And I don't know that that would be the only thing that would help a lot. But you also need something that minimizes the impact of money in politics without taking money in politics away. Uh, and that is also very difficult because of you know what Wendy said about the fact that the people in power don't want to lose the system that got them in there. Well, the Electoral College is partly in place to protect small states. I mean, if it was just it's a not. Popular, it's yeah. not. The Electoral College is in place because the founders believed that we should people have smart idiots. people pick a president. <laughs> so yep. you should vote for smart people in your state to go get together in a college and decide who should be president. It was never supposed to work the way it does now. Well, it's a little late for that now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it would take a whole change. I mean, the amount of change it would require would be constitutional amendment, and I mm -hmm. can't even, yeah. I can't even contemplate that. Yeah, in the past. It's probably unlikely. And well, like Patrick, you said, if you had more parties, oh, what would that do? Well, we've, we've tested that theory with Perot and Nader, and what it does is it splits the vote for one side or the other, and they lose. So they're the not... Problem, the problem there is that you don't have two rounds. If you had two rounds, mm -hmm. you would yeah. vote for whoever you want who actually represents you uh, more in the first round. Uh, and then on the second round, you would it would be the one for real, but you at least could I, show the, the people that you elect who you actually care about. I actually prefer ranked choice where you have instant runoff, where yeah, I yeah, say, well, could. my vote's going to go to this person. But if that person doesn't get the majority, then my vote will go to this next person. Hmm. But it's no, the same principle that. behind it. Why don't you like that, Brian? I'm curious. 
I don't like that because, like I said, uh, the system we have right now has been in place for over 200 years, and we've done pretty well with it. So I I just don't see upsetting the you know the apple cart you know just. But don't you agree there's there's the problem there's a problem with the system that's what we were you were saying earlier though maybe I misremember but you know that they don't represent neither of those parties really represent who, the people they're voting for that they're not they're in there ingrained and they you know are there to stay to be reelected or well the other thing too with you got to remember with the 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 way the system is now with the two parties it makes sense because you need so many like i said there was a 272 276 electoral votes to be president and if that does not happen it goes to the con it goes to the house of representatives and they pick the president yeah 270 mm. okay all right so that's so, the way that works so if you split it up too much guess, but it also wasn't a two-party system the parties have created a two-party system but that right. is not the intention mm. of the system um, well, that may not have been intention, but that's the way it's been working out for quite a while. But so. are you happy with the way it's been working out for the past few years? Yeah, it's over 200 years old. So, I mean, you know, we've so, done pretty yes. well. You're happy with the system? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at, I mean, I, 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 I you know, you look at Europe, they've, you know, you're, you, you know, kind of feel like sometimes Europe kind of tries to lecture the U.S. and I just kind of look... Well, our system's been a lot in place longer, and um, you know the we don't really haven't had as many wars with our neighbors, you know, Mexico and Canada as uh, Europe has had. So, yeah, it's working pretty well, I think. So, can I throw something in here that might explain why Brian is a conservative and other else people are not? And and because I think it's really helpful for people to have sort of a sense of this because. What ends up happening in a lot of these discussions is you argue about different things. You think you're talking about the same topic, but you're actually talking about very different things. You can talk about pro-choice, pro-life, and you will find that you can have two people on different sides, and they're talking about very different things, even though it's the topic of abortion. And there's a reason. Um, there's a psychologist that's done a lot of work called the, uh, it's called the Moral Foundation Theory. And it's broken down into six things that we really value. All human beings value But it's like a recording mixer, you know, when you're like recording at the studio and you turn up the drums or you turn down the bass or whatever. For each person, that mi it's mixed a little differently. And there are things like care or harm, like you don't want to see anyone hurt kind of thing. Fairness, uh, equality kinds of things. Liberty or oppression is the opposite of that. Loyalty, um, in-group sort of behavior. Authority and respect. And sanctity, which is like purity kinds of stuff. And what you'll find, and what's interesting, is progressives or liberals, they tend to be really high. You know, it's jacked up high on the care part. So they want things to be fair. They want people to be safe and, you know, have access to, to health care. And they have the sort of these kind of pie-in-the-sky ideas about how everyone should be treated, right? And then libertarians, they've got the liberty jacked up real high, right? Freedom, freedom, all that. No one should be telling me what to do. And Republicans and, you know, conservatives tend to have loyalty, authority, uh, and sanctity up pretty high as well. But what's interesting is Republicans tend to have all six working all at once. And so what ends up happening, and this is, I'm a pretty liberal person saying this, so, you know, this is, this is, this is saying something, Brian, are you listening? Um, the, you know, the, re the research shows that, uh, 
progressives are a little less willing to move on some other things and and conservatives are more willing to but those that loyalty authority and sanctity are pretty high and you can think of those in terms of you know party loyalty so sorry to bring it back to trump but trump is maybe not a lot of people who are republicans maybe not their choice but the loyalty to the group that their party will be in power they will likely be able to nominate the next two um people of the of the supreme court i mean that's a, yeah, that's big, a big deal, deal. for them so we're going to be loyal to this dude who doesn't represent us. We don't like him. He's not true to our group. But his name is going to help this work because Hillary is the opposite. Hillary is a threat to all of those things, right? And so they'll get in line. And, you know, liberals tend not to get in line. They tend to care about other things a little more. So if you think of it in terms of that, we're all human. We're all people. We all care about at least parts of these six things. But sometimes we feel them very differently. Like, let's take sanctity for a minute. Often you have sort of a religious piety or sanctity of the body or, you know, um, pro-life would be an example of this on the right. On the left, it would be sanctity or, or purity of food um, or, you know, even the vaccination thing would fit into that category. So here we are, the same feeling, but two different people are going to feel it very differently. And there's a lot of studies coming out really recently um, that the fear centers of the brain, the amygdala, is bigger in conservative people. And they don't know, is it, did it start big? Or is it that it being conservative lends to itself to that? But what they found is when people feel economically secure, they get more liberal. And when they feel fear, they get more conservative. If you think about what that means, conserve energy, conserve, you know, keep the 200-year tradition, how dare you touch that? It's worked fine because that that's the status quo thing. And the theory behind why we're all like this and why we're so different, and there's so many versions of us, is that it's very primal and very old. And when we wandered around the savannah in our groups, you really need everybody, right? You, I mean, kumbaya, ready? Let's sing. But you really do. <laughs> you need everybody because the, the ones who care, higher levels of care and avoiding harm, you need that guy as well as the guy who says, hey, hey, slow down. Let's think this through. Let's not waste any resources on that just yet and do what we've always done. So there's this value that everyone brings. The problem is we don't, we aren't talking about the same topics half the time. So these conversations tend to go down the toilet. Mm. Well, oh I gosh. see the value of this. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. No, go ahead, okay. Brian, uh, and Tom, Tom, you go after. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I think with the 200-year the thing, I mean, I just, for me, it's I'm looking at the history, you know, the last 200 years, and the U.S. has been... I mean, not not the most stable, but has been more stable than most any other country. Like I said, especially if we compare ourselves to Europe, you know, in the last two hundred years, Europe was a mess, you know. So, yeah, I, I just don't like I said. And then we got really, we have like great neighbors like Mexico and Canada. I mean, once you know, last time we were You're in saying Canada, don't, the don't fix a, well, don't fix a, a system that works if it's not broken. Don't. No, and and for, well, and, it, it works in really. part, it's just that it's just. But I mean, it's, it's just that it's got a good track record. You know, right, <laughs> there's right. A, there's a good track record going on here, mm. and why upset that when, like I said, you know, like I said, I look at well, Europe. I guess, I'm like, so yeah, I you guess what I for fifty years since the end of World War II, but before that, it was thousands of years of conflict. So well, it's like, yeah, I think that's know. a slight simplification, but uh, yeah. Not a, a big, I'm honest. I think it's a slight simplification. But I think the reason I, we started talking about this is I, I thought we were saying that the system isn't working. 
and it's not representing our interests and the uh, people in power are ingrained and they're worrying more about staying in power than they are about actually doing the job they've been elected to do. That's why, uh, you know, we started down that path. Now, if, Ryan, you're saying that you're happy with everyone who's elected and, well, okay. Well, I didn't say you know, that. Right, right. Sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're happy with the way the, the po professional politicians are, are leading their careers. I didn't say that either, but. Okay, so. I said that I, I'm happy with the way our country is. I'm happy with the, you know, with mm. the, the system in, it, in a way, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Okay, the Tom, you were, yeah. Tom, you were saying something else? Well, j just to, to back Brian's point up, if your car is not running well, you can get a new car, you can take out the engine, or you can just change the oil. Uh, and if just changing the oil will fix it, then that's probably what you should do. And I think that's what Brian's saying is we don't need to change the engine. I, I think maybe we need to change the engine. I don't think we need to get rid of the car. Uh, but, you, there's, you know, it, it's all a difference of opinion. Uh, when Wendy was talking, though, I had this revelation just based on what you were saying about how we approach things differently in loyalty versus sanctity and care and anti-authoritarianism, you can see it in the convention protests. When the Republicans unhappy with Trump protested, what did they do? They called for a roll call vote. They said, let's do a very legitimate procedure to express our frustration with this process. When the Bernie Sanders people were upset, what did they do? They yelled and screamed and waved TPP and shouted people down because they're anti-authoritarian. It it, it's very interesting to, to see those examples play out. And when you're watching folks, you you find the ones that you relate to, and you mm. and you you sort of gravitate to the people who are like you, because that's this tribal part of us, right? Mm. We have our favorite favorite sport teams. We have our favorite, you know. When we watch the Olympics, I live in a country where no one's patriotic. Swedes, you you ask them, they don't even know what day is their national day. <laughs> I'm like, it's June 6th. They're like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, they really don't know, and there's a reason. They've never been occupied by anyone else, and so they don't have a day of independence that they get all, you know, Team Sweden about. But twice every four years or so, there's two, you know, there's the, the European Soccer Championship Cup. They get, that's when they're patriotic, and then during the Olympics. But it doesn't last very long, and you can only get a Swedish T-shirt in the, t in the stores for five minutes. you got to hurry because <laughs> they don't feel – so it is culturally – irrelevant to them this thing that is so big for a lot of americans so on some ground you've got a whole world paying attention to this election and i and i've talked to americans they're like why does everyone else care oh we care because the whole world cares because america plays a role in this world that can tip some balances and change some things and can be very scary well i have you a good are, friend here go ahead um i you i say you as americans you are the de facto leaders of the world. So of course we care. Of course we, we you know, I, I was joking on Twitter, not even joking, I was saying on Twitter that um, this election is probably going to influence our lives, everyone else, more than uh, their own elections for some people. It, 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 it is completely legitimate for the rest of the world to be interested in the American election. Of course, it's not our place to tell you what to do, but we're very interested. But you and, care. And yeah. there's something really interesting about that, though, is that we know that presidents, when they're elected, they govern more from the middle than the way they spoke during that election cycle before but, you know, when so, they were okay. running. We also know, hold on, we also know that they are, have less power than we think they do. They, they just do. And so, mm -hmm. but this is what's so different about this time. And maybe it's not. Maybe this is how it is every time. But it just feels 
so much more important because this guy is such a loose cannon. And we're like, we're used to <laughs> feeling like it's just like some, there's people going to be around him that are normal, not, you know, you don't know. It's, Will it's there be, a crapshoot. Will there be? I don't think so. so That's what's scary. So, okay. Well, it, I like the way you're bringing it back to... Yes, there will be Mike to, Pence. <laughs> okay. Mike Pence will probably run the country. Pro, yeah, oh. which isn't that scary, oh too. But, <laughs> oh, well, Brian, you're also not, not a really. Fan. Pence? I mean, you know. Okay. Well, first of all, the, I mean, Cheney was the most influential VP in modern times, and I can't see another VP being that influential, so... Mm. Uh, well, um, I I say of, that because so, there is an unsubstantiated story that uh, Trump offered the VP nomination to Kasich and said, would you like to be the most powerful vice president in history? Now, that may or may not be true, but I feel like that is Trump's mode of operations, which is I don't run the company. I'm the CEO of the company and I have other people to do the running. And it would make very much sense to me that he would go around being the person making America great again, uh, but not the person producing the show. Right. He hosted yeah, The yeah. Apprentice. He didn't run it. Uh, and I would imagine he would delegate to Mike Pence uh, all of the governmental responsibilities that he doesn't have the experience to carry out. Well, OK. Uh, so first of all, I want to say I like how Wendy brought it back to we feel this election is important. And when the facts, I mean, elections are always important, but it wouldn't be the Donald Trump show. It would be the American government show where Trump has a role or where Clinton has a role. But that that goes both ways, by the way. It, it, then if it wouldn't be catastrophic in one way, it wouldn't be catastrophic either the other way. Um, so here I am feeling like this is incredibly important. And it is important, but the world balance isn't tipping on this election. Uh, and the facts, I'm not looking at the facts, at the reality of the situation, and I'm being trapped by my feelings as we're mentioning that, you know, a lot of uh, people uh, uh, pledging for Trump are apparently doing as well. But I would really like for us to, and we're getting close to the end of the show, we, we, we have to wrap up, but I would really like for us to address the question which has been bothering me um, for the past few weeks, which is, I get the feeling that a lot of people say, well, they're just as bad. Both are just as bad. And I really have a problem with that because being neutral, and I think I discussed this with you, Tom, a little bit, being neutral mm -hmm. is very important. I agree. But in some situations, uh, there might be uh, one choice, which is uh, worse than the other. And I feel like, and maybe that's my perception, but I feel like there's a game happening where uh, the, the, the image of Clinton is being inflated into uh, a catastrophic choice in the same way, you know, for the Republicans, in the same way that uh, the, the liberals are looking at Trump and saying it would be a catastrophic choice. Isn't there, isn't it true that it could, one of them is worse? Do they have to be just as bad? And I, you know, I well, clearly, I would think that uh, Trump is, is, peddling fear and anger and he has no policies and all of this so i think that trump is would be a, a a worse choice but that's my feeling but there 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 could be a, a better and a worse choice isn't that the case do we have to say they're they're both just as bad i don't know tom go uh, yeah we have <laughs> talked about this before and and it's hard to say it all depends on which one you like uh and 
and it is very difficult to have a objective analysis of which one will be worse when they get in office when you don't know what they will do who they will surround themselves with what challenges they will face i mean the presidency of george w bush was very different because of September 11th than anyone expected it to be. They expected him maybe to be a one-term president that was fairly ineffective. And it turned out that it was an entirely different situation. So if there is a huge challenge, uh, how do you think Trump would approach it? How do you think Hillary Clinton would approach it? We can imagine that. Uh, well, that's what I go do back for an election. The, yeah, yeah. And so I don't know that you can objectively say one will be more disastrous than the other. I think it is very telling that that is the way the question is being phrased, not just by you, but by many. Yeah, I mean, that's not my, you know, I think I've, I've, surprised, I've been surprised at the level of frustration expressed towards uh, Clinton as well, when, again, I understand that she's a crooked politician. Let's use that bully term, which I don't like, but okay, she's a crooked politician. She's business as usual. And she's bad. And I've said very clearly that email thing is unacceptable, probably criminal. But when I look at the the uh, things that uh, Trump is proposing, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm just I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but it's the far right. And I don't like the you know the the idea of a far right candidate. Uh, period. I it's just something that I'm not comfortable with. So I and I and I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think it's not just is it just me? Am, am I is it okay to have a, a isn't I mean maybe that's me in in France looking at this uh you know the political climate and we're a little bit more to the left, so I'm thinking well, maybe far right is acceptable in other places, but for me it's kind of like where we draw the line. It's like no, you you can't you know, institutional racism is not cool and that kind of thing. And so for that no, sort of the it, it's right. all about the line. Right. If mm. you're talking particularly about uh, does does he is he a racist? And if he is, should he be elected? No, absolutely not. Right. That's that's absolutely true. But a lot of people will say, but he's not a racist. And so that's when it starts to get muddy is, well, I, I believe this about him. But you don't. And so now we're having a, a debate over what is the reality of the situation. And and, and mm. that's where the genius of saying something that gets sound bites and is very inflammatory, but then saying some other things in, in longer form that sound very reasonable uh, doesn't get the press. And yet the, the base says, yeah, but he doesn't really mean that. I mean, and that's when you hear Muslims come out and support Donald Trump. They say, look, yes, that was an inflammatory thing that he said. But what he really means is X, Y and Z. And you get all the rationalizations. So that and then it comes back around to, well, what what does he really mean? And that is the one difference, I think, that Donald Trump is to me is someone who never believes what he says never says what he means and yes most politicians don't i don't believe that hillary clinton believes every single thing she says either uh but he has made it very difficult to tell if he believes in anything well just look at what we're talking about we're we're not talking about who's better we're talking about who's worse you know <laughs> no that's <laughs> yeah, kind of, absolutely that's absolutely the, the, but the whole, the whole but, thing and but you know there i also was... think too that gary johnson is going to get double digits that's going to show a lot of people's frustration with the two mm. candidates. But I'm, I'm, you know, it, of course, we're talking about who's worse. I think in, in, 
it may be more in this uh, election than in, in previous elections. This is the, the, the big issue. But that is a valid question as well. You know, um, do, do you, for example, Brian, do you think that Trump is a racist? I'm Or not do you sure. Also not know? I, yeah, you don't I, know. I have I have friends. I have you know. I was actually just talking to a friend the other day, and uh, he he's thoroughly convinced that Trump is racist, and you know that his you know and has those connections, and, and he hasn't he has not like vehemently like when David Duke um, you know said something, he didn't like come out right away and and denounce David Duke, which really is the easiest thing in the world to do. I mean, going against David Duke... Who uh, for is, those who was, don't know, is he the white supremacist, the KKK guy? Yeah, he's guy? a white supremacist, yeah. former grand dragon of KKK and stuff. And uh, actually, when I worked at the, a casino, uh, he was like a regular customer, and we used to pick him up at the airport. But we, we always sent the one of our black security guys to come. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we didn't... Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, it was kind of funny, you know big guy with a gun yeah you know never said a word so <laughs> and so yeah so he didn't denounce him i guess there's some shenanigans happening shenanigans i mean political maneuvering there he was trying to 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 not upset yeah. the, the the base but but isn't that kind of doesn't give and get attention yeah but doesn't yeah. doesn't it give you pause for 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 the guy let's say he is playing every card right he's playing everyone The, the fact right. that, you know, they, again, maybe that's because of World War II and the pr proximity to, um, to Germany. And we have those uh, anti-hate speech laws. Free speech is more right. limited in Europe than it is in, in the U.S., although, you know, things are, are changing here and there. But it, some things basically put you in the unacceptable corner. And it seems like Trump is more than flirting with those things. And I I don't understand how, maybe he doesn't mean them, but at some point, does it matter? Um, I don't know, Wendy, I'm guessing well, you have an I will opinion. Well, I'll add to racism, sexism, um, the things well, he says about... Well, it's the same thing. He's also, he's also sort of playing both, you know, he's saying outrageous things and... Right, then and then talking about how great his wife him. and daughter are and... And, cetera, and, and being, you know... Uh, friendly to the LGBT community, for example, even though the platform of the Republicans is not friendly to them. But uh, go ahead, Wendy. Sorry. Right. No, I, I think um, I think Tom's on to something. It's either all a show or it is some other. I don't I don't know. And that's what makes him such a wild card and, and so concerning. because We don't we don't know. And then that's what makes him yeah. attractive, too. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly, because he isn't saying stuff that we think we've already heard Is and that disruptive? nothing happens. Right. But just, I mean, that's just it. When someone walks into a booth, they vote with their gut. We can, you know, we've got enough studies on this. People are not voting. They say conscious, but they're voting with their gut. So if you think he's racist and you think he's, se he's sexist and that bothers you, your gut level, you will not vote for that man. But if you've convinced yourself otherwise, whether it's true or not, that's where you can, if you have a high in-group feeling, then you will get in line. Because Hillary Clinton, you have the opposite, that repellent reaction to her. And so you can override the other stuff. You can override that he's probably a sexist or a racist and because you hate Hillary. So this gut, like you said, it's who's the worst, but it, it comes down to that gut. And I think Brexit shows a similar kind of thing. And facts and education about a topic doesn't it doesn't matter. It's how people feel, 
and then we pay the consequence, I guess. Well, I guess, you know, the, the reality is, you're right, you, you, you vote with your gut because ultimately we don't really know who they are. They might be playing a role. I think, I honestly think that we, we get a feeling of, of uh, Clinton, a better feeling of who she is. We, she's been in, around for a long time politically, yeah. and uh, we know what she stands for. It's, it's yeah, silly. She was a Goldwater girl in high school. What's a Goldwater girl? Barry Goldwater was an extremist Republican candidate. Right. Yeah. Okay. Violent rallies. <laughs> it was a sensible Republican candidate. No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. Maybe just are, are they going to have a debate? Maybe that. Well, I, I know. With, I know with Hillary, for me, it's like I, I had a job where I used to work uh, occasionally with Secret Service agents, and this was after the uh, the Clintons were out of the White House, and. Um, like none of the Secret Service agents I talked to had a none of them had a kind word to say about Hillary. None of them liked her. Said she was not nice. She, you know, it just seemed like you know she was not a good. Hold person. on, one second, one second. Do we care if the President of the United States is nice? Sorry, that's, that's my sexism button. That's what, many, that's what many Trump supporters are saying. It's just like right, Donald Trump's not Trump's a nice, nice guy. Yeah, it doesn't matter if he's nice, and and that same goes for Clinton as well. And Brian, I'm not jumping on you because you're like everybody else that's a dude. No, it's it's just that feeling like somehow she has this, a different standard that she needs to be pleasant and she needs to be likable. No, I, I don't see that. But no, but I mean, I just think. And that, not to say she people probably I don't like her either. Right. I'm in that same group. I, I don't right. I don't well, get a good like, feeling. Well, it goes to the, the other thing. Like, I remember I gave uh, Nancy Pelosi a tour. And with yeah. just her and a Secret Service agent, couldn't be nicer. I mean, I don't like her politics, but Nancy Pelosi, super nice. You know, I, you know, she calls me up. She needs a ride to the airport. I give her a ride because, you know, she, you know, she personally, she's, you know, she was pleasant. You know, I wish you right, had. Uh, I, I wish you had a, a, an encounter with Trump so you could tell us whether or not he's nice. That would that would. Have but been he great. probably he probably is nice. But I I would have to say this is what's so frustrating about this election as well. Is that this is the first woman candidate for president of the United States in the history of the United States. And she has to, can I swear? She has to be a bitch or she wouldn't be here. Like there is something right. fundamentally flawed about how men and women, the blah, 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 that has led to this moment where the first woman candidate, no one's going to like for probably a reason. This well, is a man's well, game and a man's world for well, a long Nancy time. Pelosi is very tough politically, very tough. But that doesn't mean they can't be pleasant. In, right. in person or be a nice person i mean that that's the thing i'm like i said you know that's just that's just the view that i've gotten like i said you know uh that's not going to be that's not going to transmit nationally it, or it's, you know, it's to the, the problem mass. with it's the problem with words meaning two different things right uh when you when you say pleasant you may mean i think a human being should be decent to another human being and not rude and dismissive Correct. and that's what brian's saying when you say yeah. pleasant, you could also mean, I think this person should be submissive and inoffensive to me and defer to me. And that's what Wendy's saying, uh, is, is that no. th that pleasant can carry a lot of different meanings when people say it. And it is very it has historically been used in many situations to mean I want her to be pleasant. In other words, deferring to me and submissive. Right. So it's no, historical, so, not personal, Brian. <laughs> no, I don't mean um, that at all. Like I said, I... Mean, I, I I appreciate that 
like I said, I appreciate like like with like like I said with the Nancy Pelosi or whoever. And I also met John Cain. I did McCain. I did the same thing. You know, again, nice guy. You know, he was pleasant. You yeah. know, like I said, it doesn't hurt. You know, like yeah, I said, I think personally, the- you know, on that personal, but it doesn't. That doesn't necessarily, like I said, like you know, Pelosi is very tough politically. I mean, I. I couldn't see, you know, just because I call her pleasant, I couldn't imagine anyone thinking that she was a, you know, she was a, uh, you know, uh, shrinking violet. No, <laughs> no. Um, but she's right, not so, also not the candidate. Correct. Yeah, but yeah. I think but I, I think I, with Hillary, I think it has a lot to do with that her personality, the way that we, she's been around for a while, you know. Yeah. I think that, Plenty of time to hate her, right? I, I don't care for her. No, I don't. I don't like her. So, but that's been going on. For years, that's nothing new right. for me, you know, or a lot of Republicans, you know. So, you know, um, are they going to have a debate? Uh, because I know that sometimes oh, yeah. they are going to have a debate. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't know that it's been set yet, but it's it's extremely likely. They will. It's in the works. Okay, so I guess the only thing we can do is. We have. I, I think that's the episode where we've come up with the least amounts of solutions of anything ever. <laughs> it that's is, a tough problem, though. It is. It is. Um, it but is. I, th- what I would offer is the only thing left to do for you guys, Americans, is to actually watch the debates and make up your mind, real or not real, and then vote with your gut. Um, I guess you know. If you think that Trump is extreme and, uh, uh, you know, uh, xenophobic, then maybe not vote for him. If you think that uh, that Hillary Clinton is disingenuous and and uh, acts irresponsibly, then don't vote for her. But there's nothing else that we can do, is there? Hey, man, there's Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. Yeah, Gary Johnson, double digits. So what would Bill that Stein's do, actually? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that just, as we talked about the system, wouldn't that just dilute the vote for the, the two main candidates? Because it's only one yes. round, unlike our French system, where we have two rounds when we can actually make right. our voices well, heard depends. for the independents. If you live in California, where all 55 electoral votes are going to go to Hillary Clinton pretty much no matter what happens, uh, <laughs> it's easier to throw your vote somewhere else uh, than it is in other states where it's a battleground. Right, but for the states that do matter, is like it? My is state it, is a battleground state, Nevada. Yeah. So, well, so what, are, what what the third party candidates hope for is to get enough progress to be able to say no one will get 270 electoral votes; it'll go to the Congress, and I can persuade the Congress to put me in office. Wouldn't that be interesting? It's a, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. Yeah, it's pretty, and it's yeah, very, I very. Unlikely. I don't think a lot of people know about the, the you know, the two seventy rule. That it, if it doesn't, no one reaches that. That I don't think a lot of people think about that or remember that it goes right to the house. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know. Can I can I ask Wendy before. one question before we're done? Please yeah, do. please, Tom. <laughs> um, just uh, the the one question that, that Patrick and I had in a previous conversation was, what is the best way, if you want to persuade someone that your candidate isn't evil uh, or that you should vote one way or another, it's not yelling at them and showing them facts. Is is there is there a psychological study that sheds light on what the best way to persuade someone is? 
So there's a few ways to persuade. I don't know if you could call any of them the best, but the absolute ways, first of all, that don't work are presenting facts. Um, Here's an example of anti-vaccination persuasion. There was a study done where they showed, first of all, they told the person, this is an anti-vaxxer, they told them the, the science. And what happens is the person just doubles down because they don't trust your source. And then the next level was um, to, you know, show you pictures of a child with measles and show you the disfiguration of smallpox or, you know, whatever the stuff, you know, that they're not vaccinating for. And what is amazing is people will continue to double down, even with pictures. But you introduce that person to a child with measles, a human being, human contact, and that is the, the one way that that can shift. Um, so that's a really complicated way to do it, right? You'd have to, that'd be really complicated. But there are some other methods um, besides that one-on-one knowing someone. Um, social shaming. Uh, not social shaming, not at all. It's, it's uh, relating to a human being. So when you know someone's story, you can't vilify them. And that's why when we're in our teams, we're wearing our jerseys and we all match and we all talk the same and we look the same and we feel the same. Then, then we can villainize the other group, and that other group is bad and corrupt, and they're all these other, you know, they're the other. But when your neighbor is a Democrat and you're a Republican, and you get along and your kids play and you have this other relationship, then there can be some fun banter between the two of you about, about politics, and maybe you don't talk about politics, but you can't fully demonize the other team when you know members of that team. The challenge is... There's been a sorting in society, and people move next to people they think the same with and, and, and go into their groups. So that exposure to someone from the other side doesn't mean you're going to fully change your mind and agree with them, but you are less extreme, absolutely. You need to see a face and know a real person. So there's that. Um, there's another one, which is really interesting, and that is to, and it's really hard to make, you know, translate into real life, but to expose people to an even more extreme version of their beliefs so, for example, if, you know, I went to Brian, who owns guns and enjoys, you know, the Second Amendment, if I went to him and, you know, <gasps> I was hyper extreme about my gun desire to have guns and I wanted zero protection, I wanted guns on the same day and I wanted every kid in the country to have one in their hands, <laughs> and we had that conversation, what happens, and I think it triggers this amygdala fear response a little bit, when you hear someone saying what you believe in theory but being sort of the scary person saying it, it would dial it back for those people who, you know, are really not that extreme. What happens is when we're fighting against each other, we get more and more extreme. So what you're describing, Tom, is this effect of this polarization that comes from when you throw facts at me and you yell at me, I'm just going to double down into my protective mode and nothing gets through. So it's got to be broken through contact and conversation and personal relationships and or this this other theory is really interesting they've done it with israelis and palestinians and and you will find that people will become less extreme by you know maybe watching a video that glamorizes the real extreme version of their beliefs so it doesn't get them to think unless they've they've had Hmm. it tested by hearing the extreme version of it i think in both cases it what it does is that it sort of derails the certainty machine where you are yes you know you're just you know what you know and it doesn't reality again doesn't matter and i have to say i got a little bit 
emotional when you were describing the first, you know, the contact with with people that are different. Uh, I honestly got a little bit emotional because that is what we're trying to do on this show. It's sort of my little brick in the the building a better world on my tiny level. I'm trying to uh, expose people to people that think a little bit differently and sort of just showing that they are actually people too. It's the case with uh, our good friend Turkey from Saudi Arabia, because most people have never heard or you know, spoken to someone from Saudi Arabia. It's the case with Brian, you know, Republican. We have a lot of, of liberals here, but yeah. it, and it and was the case the with Turkey. They, they, they won't feel much better anyway. So. After what? <laughs> I, I didn't I'm hear. Sorry. Teasing Turkey, you know, he can, <laughs> Oh, after you speak with Turkey, you're yeah, that you're numb. <laughs> so it, it, nothing matters at that point. Um, but, um, but no, it was the same with Hayden last, last, uh, last episode. I, I, I don't pretend that we should completely change our beliefs, but a first step is already to just, get derail that certainty machine let's it's about just changing minds it's about changing minds that's it's... that's what i see gets lost is that people have the arguments and all this stuff and it but you're not changing any minds you know so you know i don't I, get it you well, know i don't want i don't necessarily want i never expect people to agree with me you know i don't go into room oh, everyone's gonna hear it just like me They're gonna, I, I never think that i never think that people are gonna agree with me you know so yeah know. but it doesn't it's not about necessarily i mean i would love to be able to convince people with a magic wand and make everyone think like me that would be a perfect right. world but that's not going to happen the best we can achieve no. is to get people to at least have a conversation and listen to what the other person has to say before judging them. Judge them after, that's fine. But right. actually well, listen first. And anyway, sorry, Tom, you were going to say well, I think you let it percolate. You've got to yeah. let it percolate. You know, you yeah. put that out there and you just got to let it percolate, you know. I, I think so. there's also that just human connection that when you like someone, you'll listen. And so if we eliminate all access to oh, I'm learning screwed, about then. someone. No one's going to like and, me. Well, if you, if you remove any access to them getting to know you, if, you're, if your political beliefs are out in front punching everyone in the face, no one will get to know you. Hmm. I had a really interesting, I'll tell you a brief story, I'm going to try to make you cry, this is my goal, Patrick, um, <laughs> is, really quick, I'm, I'm in a Swedish class for immigrants, and I am a weirdo American living in Sweden, learning Swedish, and everyone around me is a refugee from Africa or Syria or Afghanistan. I apologize a lot for... I'm American and I'm sorry, everyone. Anyway, it's it's a really fun experience and, and I've learned a lot and my eyes have been opened a lot to a lot of things. And we had a conversation um, about homosexuality because in Sweden, everyone's equal and your gender and your sexual preference, none of that matters one bit. And that they really live that here. It's very bizarre and exciting and, you know, it's kind of fun to see it in action. And there's just a common belief that everyone is valued the same. And they, they really say that and, and try to live that way with refugees as well. And they're, they're trying. Anyway, we had a class where we were talking about homosexuality. And um, we, they went through the room. The teacher asked each person where they were from and what their experience with what homosexuality was. And what everybody said sounded like it was written out of some book that said the same thing. Like, maybe it's contagious. 
a book from 20 years ago, by the way. Maybe it's contagious. Maybe it's, uh, I don't understand. What is it they want? What Are they kind of like they're monsters? Or it, it's, it's terrible. It's disgusting. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, and the, and the teacher went through and let everyone share their opinion. And then one, you know, and, and then she got to me. <laughs> I was like, oh. Okay, I'm going to have a totally different thing here. So I start to explain, answer a few of their questions about things that they had asked. And then I said, do any of you know anyone who's gay? And we went through the room and no one knew a single person who was gay. Now, they lived in countries where people were closeted, I'm sure, um, or had sex change operations. It's very common in Syria when you're gay. But they, none of them personally knew anybody. And so I went through and I made, you know, checked and no one knew a single one except me and the teacher who's Swedish. And then I said, you know where I'm from? I'm from America. And I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a lot of people in America who are scared of Muslims. And everyone in the room was also Muslim, by the way. (laughs) And I shared what their fear is. They don't know you. They've never sat at a table and had a discussion with you. They don't see that you love your children that you have escaped this terrible war and you're building a new life here, they don't know how amazing you are. So they're afraid of you. And I think that is it. There is this barrier we have. Maybe internet has sort of ramped this up, and I think the internet maybe tries to solve for it as well, which is connect, meet real people, travel. If I were president of the United States, I'll tell you right now what would be mandatory. Every single kid would have to travel outside the United States before they graduated from high school and serve somewhere <laughs> I'd, I'd, and get I'd a, be for that. I'd be for that. For I would French make great. Too. <laughs> yeah. Everyone needs to do it in yeah. first world countries. But this idea, I, I mean, I know it's maybe a little melodramatic and kumbaya, but it you is this, go on a mission. I mean, what? <laughs> no, you can just go and like dig a latrine or build a schoolhouse or, or just talk to somebody and get a sense of what life is like for other people. I think well, we get very insular as people. Yeah. It's it's just this this idea that well what we've we've been saying when you actually when you talk to someone it's very hard to demonize them and it happens in both in every camp in every people you know it, this is not about republican democrat you know french german white if you if you're if you don't know the person you're talking about of course it's going to you're not going to have an accurate anyway so right. yeah that's why that's, and your mind will not change unless you yeah. do there's got to be some some connection all right i think we we need to bring the show to a close uh tom do you have final words you want to mention because you've been silent in the past 10 minutes no, well i i just have had uh nothing better to add uh, than than what's been being said because uh, i was very interested in those persuasion arguments uh and i i think that 100% getting to know people who are different than you uh, is extremely important. It's one of the reasons that I have adored the Phileas Club for so long is I think Patrick does an amazing job of doing that. Uh, oh. And the Brexit episode was a great example of that most recently. But you do it over and over and over again. And it makes me a better person to be able to have that resource to expose myself to. So thank you. Oh, that's way too kind. Uh, and but. Thank you. And uh, I just want to point out, this is not just about the people that we think are intolerant. It is for for everyone. It, don't, you know, go and say, oh, yeah, look at that person that I know that doesn't, you know, that seems intolerant. You as well are probably, you know, in part, uh, 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 part of that issue. 
So, and me, yeah. and me. That's, Examine you know, your own intolerances. We all yeah, have them. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, I think, I think talking to people of different views, I mean, for me, hanging around with people with the exact same views, that's boring. I don't see how people <laughs> like that. You know, I just don't get that part. You know, I have friends that are liberals and you know, all that stuff. And, it, you know, I don't, I think I like the, the, the debate, the discussion, you know, I like people, I like it when I get challenged because that makes me work for it. It makes me want to, uh, you know, expound on what I believe or read more and, you know, things like that. You know, it's just, that's what I think people need to be doing is just don't hang around with your same minded friends, go talk to somebody else and, you know, have a discussion and, you know, it can get a little heated, but you know, when it's over, you know, friends, it's yeah. it's not the it's, biggest deal in the world. You know? I think I think that's the thing. When it's over, you're probably friends if you if you do it the right way. I mean, we or you know what? Just listen to the Fierce Club and put right. your put your money where 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 your ears are and go to patreon.com slash the Fierce Club <laughs> and give money to support the show because that is how it happens. So I just say, you know, you can you can theoreticize about wanting to be a good person or actually be a better person and give me money. So you can do that. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the Fierce Club. Go capitalism. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I am a strong proponent of capitalism. And that's what I tell my friends and friends all the time. Um, all right. We're going to uh, finish the show. That was actually the beginning of the conclusion. Uh, can you guys tell us where we can follow you, see what you're doing? Uh, let's start with uh, Brian here. Do you have a, a, a public presence on the Internet? Uh, oh, pretty much just, you know, Facebook and on Twitter. I'm at BHES on Twitter. So that's Excellent. about it. B. Hess, no problem. Uh, Wendy, what about you? Yes, I uh, have a blog that I'm really bad at updating at therapythursdays.com. And then you could follow me on Instagram at Wendy Dunford. Perfect. And Tom? I am the host of Daily Tech News Show at dailytechnewsshow.com. Uh, and Patrick will be on there today, as he is every Tuesday, talking about tech topics. And if uh, you want to see some of the other crazy stuff that I'm up to, my Twitter account, uh, some sci-fi and current geeky type stuff that we do, uh, check out TomMerritt.com. That's M-E-R-R-I-T-T. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, so that was really long. We didn't get to talk about uh, anything else, but I think it was definitely worth it. We'll be back in about a month with another episode. Uh, I'm sure Turkey will be back and uh, we <laughs> might talk about Turkey, the country where he's not from at that point, because that was super interesting as well and a little bit scary, um, but a bunch of stuff that we can discuss then. Uh, again, we'll be back in a month. Until then, uh, be kind to one another. Just talk about stuff. It's fine. You'll, you'll survive as long as you don't yell at each other. You'll end up, you know, having a beer and maybe change your mind a little bit. So that is fine. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.